0: Uh, for a brief review, the general subject of this endearing family type conference is the Christian life and the government of God. We know from John chapter 3 that those that are born of the Spirit can see the kingdom of God, and those who are born of the Spirit and of water enter into the kingdom of God. And so we have been born of the Spirit, we have been baptized into the triune God, into Christ, into his death, and into his body. And whether we are conscious of it or not, we are living in the kingdom of God. And it's not abnormal for a period of time not to be conscious that we're living in the kingdom of God. When I brought my firstborn home from the hospital, a little girl, she didn't realize I'm a Kangas. I'm a member of the Kangas family. It would take a while for her to realize, oh, I'm not the only person. There are these big people. And... The first word out of a little one's mouth should be mama. She has done most of the labor. She should be honored by mama and daddy. Oh, I'm part of a family. But that's not all. There are other people. They, they bring me with them to a meeting. And then I'm with the, the preschoolers. Then I'm in school. So there's a gradual realization that you're part of a country part of the human race on the earth. But eventually we will realize we are in another kingdom, the kingdom of God, in the realm of life and also the realm of God's righteousness. And in this kingdom, as in all countries, there is a governmental center. There's a government. And in the kingdom of God, there is the government of God to carry out God's will and to cause everything in that realm eventually to be righteous. So, as citizens in the kingdom of God, we are under the government of God, and yes, it is based on righteousness. So the Lord, little by little, will deal with anything in us, in the church, and in the whole world that's contrary to his righteousness. But at the same time that he may be dealing with us, he is caring for us in a tender-hearted, faithful, loving way. He wants us to commit our souls to him. He is the shepherd of our soul. He wants us to cast all our anxieties on him. He's providing with a way to mature in life, to grow in life, to be built up. He is the God of all grace, supplying us with all that we need. So now we come to... uh, a marvelous matter that takes place in this realm. The deepest, the richest of all spiritual experiences becoming a reproduction of Christ. Or to express it another way, Christ reproducing himself in us, living in us, being expressed through us. And before we go to the outline, which will emphasize the experiential side, we need to understand the truth in the word that allows us to speak of becoming a reproduction of Christ. Some uh, religious leaders or theologians, they have a knee-jerk reaction to this. This is heresy. How can this be? Christ the Son is unique. How dare you say you're a reproduction? Are there many Christs? Well, eventually, uh, all these persons will be subdued. It may take a lifetime plus another day but they will all be subdued and they will all open and they will all have their mind renewed but we have the opportunity for all that to happen now but we need to be clear about the truth because we do not teach anything that is not according to the revealed truth of God in the word in the world with that revealed truth accurately interpreted and presented to us, which was the task of the ministry of the age. So we need to consider two aspects of the sonship of Christ. And we begin with the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He's the Word. So He reveals God to us, okay? The only begotten Son. It's clear, it's obvious. Only begotten Son means there's only one Son. If you are beginning a family, and you're first born as a son, then you can say he's the only begotten son. Three years later, you bring forth another son. He's no longer the only begotten son. But John goes on to speak in chapter 3, verse 16, that God loved the world, the human beings, to such an extent, he gave his only begotten son. Son. And later in the chapter, that expression is used again. We believe in the only begotten Son. Well, the only begotten Son is the eternal Son of God in the eternal, unchanging Godhead. One attribute of God is that he's unchanging. The technical word is he's immutable. He cannot change his nature. It's impossible for God to change his nature. So the only begotten Son in the triune Godhead with the Father and the Spirit from eternity to eternity will be the only begotten Son in the Godhead. But we know from the Gospel of John and we know from Romans 8.3 which says God sent his Son in the likeness of the flesh of sin. And John 1.14 tells us the word which is God became flesh. That is the only begotten Son becoming a human being. As the only begotten Son in the Godhead, he possesses only divinity. There's no humanity there, it's pure divinity. But when the Son of God, the only begotten Son, God gave him, became a man. Since he has humanity, he is now called the son of man. In his incarnation, he remains the only begotten son. But he is also the son of man with humanity. Now, before we explain too much further, the process related to the second aspect of his sonship Recall we read Romans 8.29, which explains God's purpose in verse 28. All things work together for good to those who love God according to his purpose. Verse 29, God predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So let's think clearly. Clearly. If Christ has many brothers, then God does he not have many sons. But how can this be when the eternal only begotten Son cannot change? Well, uh, some years ago, for our journal Affirmation and Critique, I wrote a brief article purposely to challenge the theologians. And I was ready for their counter. We have an open offering. If you disagree with anything we write, you can write an essay up to 3,000 words. We will publish it unchanged. And so this article was entitled, The Only Begotten Son of God and His Brothers. Well, John 1, the only begotten Son. John 3, the only begotten Son. John 20, the resurrected Christ is speaking to the seeking sister Mary. Go to my brothers. My brothers, not my friends, not my disciples, my brothers. For I ascend to my father and your father. Ooh, we have the same father as the son to my God and your God. And so I laid that before them. How do you explain these verses in the Gospel of John? Well, we need the whole New Testament to help us. So now we come back to Romans. I refer to Romans 8.3. God sent his son. So God is sending his only begotten son. That's John 3:16. In the likeness of the flesh of sin. He had the God created human nature, the flesh. But without sin. Our body is a body of sin. We have a flesh of sin. The God man becoming A human had the human nature, he had the flesh according to God's creation, but no sin. Then we go back to Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And that begins by saying that Christ is the seed, the descendant of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David declared, I want to build a house for the Lord. At first the prophet said, go ahead and do it. But then God enlightened the prophet and sent him and said, speak to David. You will not build me a house. You cannot do that. You will bring forth a seed, a descendant, and he will build my house. And he will build my son, and his throne I will establish forever. In other words, David, this is the prophecy. First, it applies to Solomon you will have a son who will build the temple, but you will have another kind of son whom I will call my son. And this other son is Jesus, who is a descendant of David. He's called Son of David. Son of David. That's how the New Testament starts. The descendant of David. So his humanity, he inherited it from the genealogy we see in Matthew 1. And his great, great, great grandpa, was David. So now here he is in his incarnation, having both divinity and humanity. The humanity is sinless, and he has this humanity because he's a descendant generation after generation from David. Then we're told in the following verse, When this one, the descendant of David, was resurrected, God, by the power, by the Spirit, meaning the element, the essence of the Spirit, declares him to be the Son of God with his humanity in his resurrection. His humanity was uplifted and brought into the divine sonship. That is why he's called the firstborn. The firstborn among many brothers. The Bible is an amazing book. And Paul is in Antioch, according to Acts 13, proclaiming the gospel And he said, God has fulfilled the promise made to David. Then he quoted, he, Paul, quoted Psalm 2, verse 7. This day I have begotten you. And then Paul explains, this day was the day of Christ's resurrection. Because on the day of his resurrection, Christ was born to be the firstborn son of God. So now he's the son of God in two ways. In the Godhead, there's no change. We will never enter the Godhead. We will never participate in the Godhead. We'll become God in life and nature just as we're like our parents in life and nature. We don't have, I don't have my father's fatherhood. My sons don't have my fatherhood. They have my life and nature. Then this is confirmed by Hebrews 1.6, which says when God brings his firstborn again into the world, This refers to Christ's second coming. When Christ came the first time, he was sent as the only begotten son. And he came, in a sense, alone. But when he comes again, he will not be alone. He will come as the firstborn son with all the overcomers who are his bridal army. They will come with him. So now we go back to John 20. Why could the resurrected Christ say, go to my brothers? Because something amazing happened through his resurrection. Two sides. First, as we pointed out, he himself became the son of God in a second way because now his humanity is part of the sonship. So he is the firstborn. Then we know from 1 Peter 1.3, we were all regenerated when Christ was resurrected. So when he was born, we all, all were born, were all the twin brothers, male and female alike, just as female and male are part of the bride. We are his many brothers. Then Hebrews 2.10 tells us, God is bringing many sons into glory. And so there is no change in the eternal Godhead the only begotten son cannot be reproduced that is impossible that would involve a change in god's immutable nature which is impossible that would be involve a change in the godhead also impossible but god became man through incarnation so that redeemed Human beings can become God through regeneration in the sense of having the life and nature of God. So God is our father. Just as he's the father of Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 declares, we are children of God. When he appears, we will be like him. We will see him as he is. Romans 8 16. The Spirit is witnessing with our spirit that we are children of God. What kind of children? God didn't send some prophets to a big orphanage and adopt millions of children. We are not adopted children. We are born of God. We have the life and nature of God. We have a big brother. You know, often when boys especially, they get in a fight, and maybe the one they're fighting, they don't back down from the fight, but the person is too big. and Then he says, I'm going to get my big brother after you. So I'd like to say to the enemy, you want to pick a fight with me? My big brother has already KO'd you in the first round. And I'll call on my big brother, you, and you attack any one of my sisters and brothers. We're going to call on our victorious big brother to deal with the demons, to deal with the evil spirits, and to deal with you. So I hope it's becoming somewhat clear that the New Testament reveals the two aspects of Christ's sonship. The first aspect, the only begotten Son, is His sonship in the Godhead. The second aspect, being the only, being the firstborn Son, is His sonship in God's economy. Because God wants to have millions and millions of children who become His sons, who become His heirs, who will. Form one corporate person, the one new man who eventually become the, the bride, the wife. See, how does the Bible end? Again, I say it's amazing. In John 21, verse 9, a word is spoken to John from an angel Come here, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. And so if if someone would say, here, let me show you my bride. I expect to see a person. Obviously, now she's my wife. So John is carried away in spirit onto a great and high mountain. And what does he see? He sees the holy city, Jerusalem, Descending out of heaven from God. But the angel said, you will see the bride. You will see the wife. But then he saw the city. Because the city, New Jerusalem, is not a big metropolis. It's a corporate person who is also the kingdom of God. And we know from Revelation 21, around verses 6 and 7, combined with a study of Galatians 4, that the New Jerusalem is composed of many sons. And Paul even says the New Jerusalem is our mother. The Bible's mysterious. This mother produces many sons. And now the many sons make up the New Jerusalem which is the wife of the redeeming God. So This is how the Bible ends with the revelation of the bride, the wife of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we know from Revelation 19, oh, we're waiting for those verses 7 through 9 to be fulfilled. Rejoice and exult. The marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. Amen. She's ready. Amen. And we know from Matthew 25, when the Lord comes for us secretly, not for the believers, he's coming as the bridegroom. And the bridegroom is coming for his bride and he's going to rapture her to the throne. Then there's going to be the wedding And while the tribulation is going on in the earth, we're enjoying the wedding feast. Then, three and a half years later, the husband, our Lord, will say to his wife, his new wife Dear, we're going on a trip. Where are we going? We're going to Armageddon. What are we going to do in Armageddon? We're going to destroy the enemy and his army. You mean I'm going to be in the army? Yes. That's one reason why I married you. It's one of my, one of the qualifications. You have to be an experienced fighter. And then she's the female, so she'll ask, well, what should I wear when I go to Armageddon? And he will say, dear, your wedding garment is your warrior's uniform. Let's go. So all of this is possible only because Christ has been reproduced to be the many brothers of the firstborn son. And we will marry this firstborn one. And look, in any human marriage, it's two human beings. And yes, I believe in the Bible, male and female, the only two genders, period, End of the argument. I don't care what baloney, what evil teaching is in the public schools. We stand for the truth, unashamed. And so, obviously, male and female, we're more alike than we are different. We match. And it's designed this way. You need a helper, man, you need a helper. You can't make it alone. But you need a female helper. And so Adam says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so the Lord will marry us. And we will be like him in every way except. He is God in the Godhead. So we will worship him. We will praise him. And we will never equal him in the Godhead but we will match him in every other way because our humanity will be fully saturated with Christ. Every part of our being will be brought into resurrection. will be wholly a new creation. We have our wedding garment, which is just dazzling white because that's an expression of Christ as our righteousness living in us. And we're now stitching our wedding garment. Whether we realize it or not, every time we live Christ, we sow a little bit more. Then He will come and bring us before the Father. And the Father is the one who has prepared a wedding face for His Son. We're going to have our wedding garment, we say in hope and also in faith. We're going to be there. All the suffering is over for us, we're in the joy of the Lord. We have the, a, a thousand-year wedding day. Then after that, we'll be happily married forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I don't know if time will be kept in the new heaven and the new earth, but I have to use the time uh, language now. So after we've been there for a billion years, we will just say, something fresh is flowing out of the throne. Nothing is stale, nothing is old. God is inexhaustible. We will be enjoying Him in a new way forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah So in, because in order for Christ to have His counterpart that matches him, he must. Reproduce himself in each one of us personally. And so here is something mysterious. Even in this room tonight, there may be approaching 300 people, but there's only one person, right? There's so many people, individual humans, but there's one person in us all. Amen. And we will still be recognizable. When we're in the kingdom. And in eternity. God is not going to discard. What he created. And redeemed. And uplifted through resurrection. You'll have a new name. I'll have a new name. So that that's a secret. And we'll have to get used to seeing one another. In glory. But I believe. We're going to remember this conference, because here we are. Look, he did it, and we did it with him. We're his reproduction. With my whole being, I believe this. My whole life is devoted to this. So we become the reproduction of Christ in God's economy in the sense that we're the reproduction of Christ as the firstborn son. I repeat, if you say only begotten son, you don't have to explain. That's the only one. If you say, this is my firstborn son, then you may inquire about the others. Okay, Father God, this is your firstborn son. I'd like to meet all the other sons. Well, you're going to have to wait till we're all together because there are millions of them and they're all undergoing the process of reproduction to be the same as Christ in life and in nature, in expression, but not in the Godhead. Amen. So now we can go through the outline and we'll focus on section five with three aspects of the experience that is being set before us and the way in which we can all enter in. And then there will be much time for response, at least 25 minutes, maybe more than that. As believers in Christ, we may become a reproduction of Christ as our model. That's First Peter 2.21. And we'll come to this. In point three. So Christ is the model. But we will not imitate him. That is self-perfection. That's trying to be like Jesus. That is. Uh, futile. Religion. Self-effort. Rather, this Christ will reproduce himself inwardly by revealing himself in us, living in us, being formed in us, making his home in us, being magnified in us, and being all in all in us. So he is really the prototype which is the means for the reproduction. To the living of the Lord Jesus under the government of God is a model so that we may follow in his steps by becoming his reproduction. About maybe 120 years ago, a religious book became very popular entitled, What Would Jesus Do? And so the readers were taught, you're in a situation, what would Jesus do? So you're, what, you're in traffic, someone cuts in front of you, you have time to ask, what would Jesus do? Driving this truck of mine, or driving my, no, whatever vehicle it is. There's no way of knowing. And then what? You do what you imagine Jesus would do, Jesus does not like that. Rather, he would say, you are driving, I want to be be the driver in you. Right? I want you to let me be the driver inwardly. I drive in you, and then you drive with me. That's the difference. And so we will follow in his steps, not by imitating him, Dressed like a trained monkey for an act. Dressed like a human riding a tricycle, doing these kind of things. No, we follow in his steps inwardly as the Spirit anoints us and leads us. Romans chapter 8. As many who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And being led by the Spirit here is not a matter of guidance. What should I do? It's you're led by the Spirit to live Christ. Amen. You're led by the Spirit to be one with Him. And those who do this, they are growing, they're maturing. Section uh, point 3, the Greek word for model in 1 Peter 2.21 denotes a master copy of used in the teaching of writing. He had writing copy and underwriting for students to use in tracing letters so that they learn to draw from. So Peter used this language. And so what you have is you have a written document under something that's, that's clear. You can see through it. Then the student places the paper on top of it and then can see the letters that are written. This is an A. And so then they write on the paper, they trace it, an A. This is how they learn. So this is the model. But we may wrongly interpret it to think, well, that's really just imitating But if we understand this in the light of the whole New Testament, the tracing is an inward matter where Christ is the model, reproducing himself. And so at the, actually in point two, we have Ephesians 4.20 and 21. Uh, Let me read this because it helps makes things clear a little more. Where uh, Paul says, but you did not so learn Christ. We're learning Christ. We're learning a person. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. As the reality is in Jesus. So Christ is in us and now we're learning him. He wants us to know, this is how I live. Okay, Now, this is how you reacted. And now I just governmentally touched that. Now I want you to know how I react to that. Actually, I don't react. It doesn't irritate me. And so I want to now gain ground in you. So after you have made this mistake... Perhaps a few hundred times. And that's not an exaggeration. If you made one mistake a day for a year, what, how many would you make in 20 years? Okay, So this is not religious humility. This is a kind of conservative estimate. But eventually we will learn the difference between ourself and Christ. So one day I was... On behalf of some brothers, I was writing a letter about something. And then uh, I was exercised before the Lord. It was an important matter dealing with an opposer. Then I gave it to the brothers I'm serving with. And they were reading it. And then they came to a certain sentence. They say, "Uh uh-uh, that is so wrong. (laughs) That's just you. Okay, that goes out. This and this is okay. That goes out. If indeed you have been taught in him. So we're in him. And he's teaching himself. And we touch the reality that's in Jesus. And a matching portion is in Matthew 18 again. My memory's okay, but I don't trust it. Just because it's okay doesn't mean you trust it. This is what he says. Verse 28 to the end. Come to me, all who toil and are burdened, and I will give you rest. You've tried so hard to be a Christian, to be an overcomer. You're just burned out. You're just exhausted. Come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. Well, the yoke is the will of God. So he is under the will of God. He said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. So all of us are learning directly from the Christ indwelling us. Certain teaching, even a message, may help things open up. But the real learning will be directly from the Lord. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so, you know, it's accurate to say that I'm in the work as well as serving in the ministry, so I'm a co-worker. But honestly... I never have the feeling that I'm working. The yoke is easy. The burden is light. Okay. Fly to the Philippines, Manila. Okay. Then I encounter the first V, the volcano that erupted the day before. and Close. Okay. So the air is full of dust. So we stay inside. Then I continued, we go to Malaysia and then to Singapore. Then we encountered the second V, the virus, okay? But the yoke is easy because it's so restful and the burden is light. But the key thing is, learn from me. Learn from me what I am like. I am meek and lowly in heart. And we put that together with these verses, or the verse 21. This is how he is the pattern. We're learning him. So I say again, we're all learners. I'm a learner every day, every day. And I'm not ashamed of it. Even in our refrigerator, There is this this large L that we got in the UK because I mentioned this. I just appreciate being in a car. The brothers are driving. And on the the bumper or in the back window of the car in front is a big L, meaning learner. This person has a license, but is a learner. Give room to the driver and also beware of the driver. (laughs) This would be very good. And it's there for a year or two. And Brother Nee mentions this, that we should just be learners our whole life. Amen. There's no shame in that. Amen. Look, Paul was mature to the uttermost when he wrote Philippians. What did he say in chapter 3? I don't count myself to have attained. I haven't attained I haven't arrived, I'm pressing on. And so, let's just all have a learning spirit. So A under three says, the Lord Jesus has set his life before us as an underwriting for us to copy by tracing and following his steps. So there we have Matthew 11. So inwardly he's teaching us how he lives, then we let him live that, then we live him. We're not imitating him. We will see. we're allowing him to live in us. in this way we become his reproduction. B, it is not God's intention that we try to imitate Christ by our own effort. What we need is not imitation, but reproduction. Amen. That might make a kind of neat t-shirt maybe to have on the front or the back. Not imitation, but reproduction. Yeah. That maybe on the front. I am becoming a reproduction of the firstborn son of God then you had some verses there. I'm not asking you to design a t-shirt and send it to me. But what a a testimony. I was once in a store. I didn't get to speak to this man, a young man. He had a t-shirt on. He said, explain the meaning of the universe in 25 words. And I was ready to do it. (laughs) We can do it in less than 25 words regarding the eternal purpose, God's will, the reason he created all things. So may the Lord show us the difference between imitation and reproduction. And the reproduction in you will accelerate once you reach a certain turning point. And I mean a decisive turning point. And now you say, I give up trying Amen. to be this. Amen. Now, I think I'm like anybody else. When I felt I failed, I say, I give up. It lasts half a day. Then I'm at it again. I give up. But eventually, you just stop. The Lord has been waiting just stop just say, Lord, I will open to you. Just work yourself into me. Amen. Live in me, Lord. Amen. Make your home in me, Lord. Amen. For we need to become Christ's reproduction, copies of Christ, by a process that involves the riches of the divine life. When this process is completed, we will become a reproduction of Christ. So, John 3.15, if we believe into the Son of God, we have eternal life. Ephesians 3.8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, what is this process? It's a process of dispensing. Of dispensing. We are vessels. I don't know Hebrew, but I remember learning that the Hebrew word for Genesis in make, or form, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. That verb refers to a potter shaping a vessel. And many verses tell us we're vessels. And actually, each one of us, if we stood in front of a full-length mirror, we could say, yeah, I look like a bottle. The the mouth is on the top. and We're different shapes. We are vessels. That's what a human being is. A tripartite vessel, spirit, soul, and body. So we have to have content. We can't bear to be empty. And that's the most dangerous thing, is to be empty. Then we're really vulnerable. But when we are redeemed, the vessel has been redeemed and cleansed. And then the filling begins from our spirit. And what God wants to do every day, in every little situation, is to dispense himself into us. But I need to explain something, and I don't know if I had the best terminology. But, um, okay, at lunch, 12 brothers had lunch over at Roger and Lily's house. And what a healthy meal was there. Oh, so everything so fresh and nourishing. So there was the food on the counter. The meat, selected some and put it on our plate. And we sat down. So the food is objective. Then we start eating. We take it into our mouth. That's when you have the taste. Then we swallow it. It gets into our stomach. And that's where digestion begins. And so that is objective to subjective dispensing, meaning the food is outside of us. Now we take it in and it enters into us. That's dispensing from outward to inward. But we don't live by the food in our stomach. It has to be digested, transmitted, and assimilated. That means what was once in our stomach needs to be digested. I don't understand physiology. Then by the circulatory system, the elements reach every part of the body. And that's what we live by. That is inward to inward dispensing. So our spirit, and I'm following Brother Lee's terminology to give him the credit for it, I didn't invent it, is our spirit is our spiritual stomach. It's the organ that receives and contains the divine dispensing. But then there needs to be a dispensing from our spirit to all of our inward parts to the depths of our inner being, to our mind, to our memory, to our imagination, to our thinking, to all of our emotions, to our will. That is inward to inward dispensing. And the requirement to experience that is simply to be open to the Lord, to be an open vessel to the Lord. Then we receive the riches of the divine life and the all-inclusive riches of Christ, little by little. And this takes place usually quietly, calmly, peacefully, throughout ordinary days. And the Christian life is really a life of ordinary days under the divine dispensing. Not every day in our whole life is ordinary But when you go back to work on Monday, it's it's the same. You do the laundry, it's the same. You do the dishes, it's the same. You read Curious George got an iPad for the 47th time to your little girl, it's the same. But it's in the the normal things. So I told the brothers today, I, I cleared this up with the Lord. I'm not exaggerating. I have lost thousands of opportunities to receive dispensing in the midst of a little thing. You know, having to wait at the red arrow in the left turn lane because the cars in front of me, the drivers, they had poor reflexes. (laughs) So now I'm here for another two and a half minutes. I grumble, what's the matter with you? were not you alert? Okay, that's a little thing. So maybe after a few dozen, to say the least, (laughs) murmurings of this happening again and again, because God's way is, look, my son, I'm going to repeat this matter as many times as I need to until you learn this lesson. Okay. And so I just had to acknowledge to the Lord I lost so many opportunities I don't want to continue in that way. But I still need help. And uh, I have a certain capacity. This is not a positive thing. I'm very good at choosing the wrong line. Whenever there are a series of lines to go through, I'm very good at choosing the one that will be the slowest. (laughs) So here I come into a country, it's passport control. There are all these lanes for foreign passports. Oh, this one is shorter. This has to be the best one. Well, there's a reason that it's shorter. And then people are in the longer line, the way back here, and I'm here. Then they're here. Then they're here. Then they're there. Then they're gone. And I'm not happy. And the Lord, cover us. This is very positive, but still the Lord cover us. I have a helper. Right? I have my counterpart by my side. They said, Ron, this is an opportunity. Don't lose the opportunity. Or Ron, remember what you said in that message? (laughs) I need this. I need this. I appreciate this. (laughs) It's loving yet as direct, man. It's direct. And so, yes, and... Critical situations and unusual situations, there will be a particular kind of dispensing. But we don't want to waste time, lose the opportunity, redeem the time, and eventually you'll learn. Maybe you won't have to go through dozens of times in the left turn lane with the drivers in front of you being too slow, and you wait twice. Maybe maybe only 20 times you'll get it. And then you'll say, Lord, now I'm here. I'm going to enjoy you for two and a half minutes. I will sing. I will pray a scripture that comes to mind. I will pray. I will fellowship with you. And then it zips by. And then you're the one who hears a gentle honk behind. Hey, wake up. What kind of reflexes do you have? Okay. Now, in section five, we read this. In order to become a reproduction of Christ as our model, we need to experience Christ as the one living in us. Christ being formed in us, and Christ making his home in our hearts. So this no one can do for you. No one can replace you. We can only try to supply you. A, the New Testament reveals that Christ is deeply related to our inner being. This we need to see. It's just astounding. The very Christ who walked on this earth, who died for our redemption, who in resurrection has a glorified body, yet became the life-giving spirit. This person is inside of us right now. Amen. Christ himself. And in Galatians 1.16, Paul said, it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Even the revelation is shining into you. In Colossians 3.10, Christ is all. And in all. Now we have the three kinds of experiences. B, the pneumatic Christ. Christ as a life-giving spirit. Is living in us. So we have Galatians 2.20. And I want to work directly from the verse. To help us have a clear view of what Paul is saying. And what is involved experientially. So he says. I am crucified with Christ. <clears throat> the I. Is the old man. In Romans 6.6. 6. In that verse Paul says. We know. That our old man was crucified with him. And our old man. Is the totality of our fallen being. God put us in Christ. When Christ died, we died in him, all of us, at the same time. So Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. That means I'm gone. And it is no longer I who live. So I am not living. But listen, he says, but it is Christ who lives in me. Now, wait a minute. How can there be a me if there's no I? (laughs) If I say, you know, I am Ron, please give me a drink of water. The I and the me are the same, are they not? But if I say, I am gone, then there's no me to give water to. But where does this me come from? If the I is gone, well, it's the new me. The new me. The new man, the new creation, that is a believer with Christ in her or in him. So the me is a new me. And from time to time, I do it again. I wonder if that would be a good name for a new baby girl. New me. New me. I don't think I'll ever have a granddaughter named New Me Kangas. Anyway, this is the new me. So Christ lives in new me. Not just resides. Resides lives, fully lives in every way, in me. So we need to realize our old I with the old me, was crucified with Christ, and that I no longer lives. When we try to let it live, or it just lives on its own, before long, we're uncomfortable. We have no peace. There's no flow. We just can't stay here. We have to come back to our spirit. It is Christ, a person, who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. So the new me is now the new I, living in the flesh that is in the old creation. So Christ is living in me and I am now living in the flesh and my living is Christ's living. There's one living here. He lives in me. Then my living is the expression of his living. Then he goes on to say, I live in faith. And faith similar to grace means I can't do this. Abraham saying, I'm too old, I can't have a son. Wife, you're also too old. This can't happen. And God comes and says, or the Lord comes and says, This time next year, Sarah will have a child. She is outside the tent laughing. And the Lord says, Why are you laughing? He said, I didn't laugh. I heard you laugh. (laughs) And what happened, what was impossible, happened because of faith. And so we live in faith, but it's not something we produce. Faith in the Son of God. Now, Paul could have stopped here. He said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God. But for some reason, he didn't stop. And what he said is very precious. The son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And this indicates each one of us needs to realize with deep, comforting assurance that God not only loves the whole world, okay? All seven billion people, I guess I'm included. I'm a person. That's abstract. That doesn't touch us. Or what about Ephesians 5? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, I'm part of the church, so I must be loved. It's still remote. But Paul said, who loved me? And some of us, we shouldn't be ashamed. We should pray for this. Lord, I need to know this. I need to realize this. You, Lord, loved me, and you gave yourself up for me. As God, he knew everything. He knew all of us. He knew Ephesians 1, 4. We were chosen in eternity past to be holy. Verse 5, predestinated unto sonship. He gave himself in love for each one of us. And when we see the light on the fact that our old man has died, now Christ is in us, making us a new me. Christ is living in new me more and more. Then the new me in whom Christ lives is the I who is now living, but not by our faith, but not by our strength or knowledge, but by faith. And the faith is not ours; it's faith in the Son of God. And now we have the phrase that motivates us: "This Son of God loves me." He gave Himself up for me. Then it melts us. Yes, we're under God's government. He's dealing righteously with the things that must be judged. But he doesn't come with a command and say, live in me from now on, or you'll be in the outer darkness. No, it's the love that melts us. And each one of us personally needs this. That's why it was a great day, like I mentioned this morning, when I could sing, come and rejoice with me. For I have found a friend. He knows my heart's most deep, the deepest depths. It loves me without end. He is love. He loves me. Thank you, Lord. And now, 1 John four nineteen, we love. Because he first loved us. Now we love back. Because we love back, we open to him and say, Lord, live in me more. Now we can read the points. The pneumatic Christ, Christ as a life-giving spirit, is living in us. God's economy is that the I be crucified in Christ's death. And that Christ live in us in his resurrection. John fourteen nineteen. because I live, you also shall live. Two, we are one spirit with the Lord. We have one life with him. And we should now be one person with him. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit. Christ is our life. To me to live is Christ. Those are the verses. Since Christ dwells in us as the Spirit, we need to let him live in us. And the little word let is crucial because this refers to our will. We determine how much we let Christ live in us. And again, this is something we will learn And we will be trained in. Because there are certain things, honestly, we have to be honest and say, Lord, I love that. I love doing that. And we know that the Lord does not love that and does not enjoy doing that. But we want to do it. So we do it deliberately. And so we lock up Christ temporarily in us. We don't let him live. And then comes the grace, the supply, and the discipline. And now, okay, Lord, I still have this interest, but I will let you live. Remember one day, I was just encountering something that was distracting to me. And inwardly, the Lord was saying, not audibly, but it was a real speaking. Ron Just turn to me, call on me, and I will do everything. But it took me a while to let. This is our will. We're all the same. And so our will eventually will be subdued, will be renewed, and we will let him. So now from this point on, just be honest with the Lord and go as far as you can as of right now. I will let you live I'll open this much. Okay, good. If I say, I'd like to open myself this much, don't try to imitate. Don't measure yourself by others. Don't condemn yourself. Just be where you are right now. But be honest with him. And if you want him to live more, and you just say, Lord, just enable me to let you live in me in every situation. Then we come to point C, to have Christ formed in us is to have Christ fully grown in us. And Paul, I don't know how he had this experience, but he said in chapter 4, verse 19, my children with whom I travail again in birth until Christ is formed. In you, And so the goal is for Christ to be formed in us to fill our whole being. And the Lord will raise up some brothers and raise up some sisters who the Lord has gained to a certain extent. And they will become the travailing mothers. Again, until Christ is formed. They realize, as they learn from their own experience, I was able to make progress because someone like one of my two spiritual mothers, Sister Lee, prayed and travailed. They had the understanding of where I was and what I needed. And they travailed in birth until, until. And parents know this. Those of you that are, have young children, you'll realize this later. You are caring for them now. But they will grow up. They will be on their own. But inwardly, you will travail more than ever before inwardly. There's nothing you can do outwardly wisely, but you just travail over them. Your being is just longing to see Christ live and be formed in them. And so, Brother Knee did this in those years in prison. Brother Lee did this throughout his ministry. It's something in secret. No one's going to stand up and say, by the way, I've been travailing for Phoenix and this part of the country for the last six months. You know, give me a, a badge. No, this is secret. The Father knows who sees in secret. But the point is to have Christ fully grown in us. Christ was born into us at the time we repented and believed in him. Then he lives in us in our Christian life. And finally, he will be formed in us at our maturity. This is the goal, maturity, not just transformation. Maturity. You're filled with God. To have Christ formed in us is to allow, again, our will is involved, to allow the all-inclusive spirit to occupy every part of our inner being to have Christ fully grown in us. Every part. The young, I believe it's true to say, they live to a large extent with the future in mind in their imagination. Let Christ live in your imagination. Really, elderly saints, they tend to live in their memories I remember when I was trying to sell hearing aids and failed because I'm just not a salesperson. But I learned something from this elderly lady I visited. And she said, I'm okay here. I have my memories. And so eventually we will allow Christ access to every part of our inner being. If you can say that now, that's fine. But when you say that, he really, really will act on that. So just be honest with him. And don't compete with others. We're not in a race against each other. We're not rival. We're all going to arrive. We're not in rivalry. Three, to have Christ formed in us implies that we are being constituted with Christ organically. Formed in Galatians 4.19 corresponds to image in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Christ will be formed in us so that we may express him in his image. So in both of these, Galatians 2.20 and 4.19, the crucial thing is once we see this, how far will you let the Lord go? And the Lord knows we're all limited at first. So this is where the government comes in to discipline us, to train us, to deal with the hindrances, along with the loving, faithful, tender care. And then we realize, Lord, I'm more open now than ever. I give you more room Till eventually you can tell him honestly, I'm fully open to you. Every part of my being, the depths of my being. I welcome you. Touch what you want to touch. Go where you need to go. Do what you need to do. I love you. I trust you. For the sake of the body, for the sake of the bride, be formed in me, Lord. This is not just for my spirituality. It's not mainly for that. It's for the body, Lord. It's for the bride, Lord. And now we come to the third one. In Ephesians 3. Where Paul prayed. That the father would strengthen us with power through the spirit into our inner man. So that Christ may make his home. In our heart. Make his home. Not to be a guest. I've used this illustration many times. You might have heard it, but it won't hurt to hear it again, and others haven't heard it. I think it's quite helpful. In the last 20 years, I've traveled in so many places, been welcomed in the saints' homes, and the first thing I want to do is to put the sister at rest. So I tell her, Sister, don't worry about the meals. Whatever you set before me, I'll just eat. Don't worry. I don't have any allergies, no problems. And maybe I just would add this: if possible, please don't serve me yak liver. <laughs> this will put a smile on their face. First, they have to know what a yak" is, you know? It's <laughs> kind of hairy animal <laughs> in the high Himalayas. And then they said, make yourself at home. And I know they have a good heart. But I realize I'm a guest. But I remember being a guest in one home and they said, our daughter Emily has given you her room. Make yourself at home. So let's suppose I decided to do this. And then I called the brother and I said, brother, will you please take me to Ace Hardware? Why do you want to go? I, want, I don't like the color of the walls in my room. God men, real men, they don't like pink walls. That's for narcissistic wimps. No, I want to get just a light green, you know, off-white. Also, look at my bed in my room. How am I supposed to sleep tonight on my bed in my room? It's covered with stuffed animals. It's a zoo. Get rid of all the stuffed animals. Also, what kind of posters are on the walls? I don't want that. If we have anything, I want you to get a kind of copy of a Rembrandt or Van Gogh's Starry Night. And then look here. I don't know if they have these anymore. I may be out of date, probably. But there's this thing you call an iPod or something like it. And I turned it on and there's 747 rock tunes on it. I don't want this on my iPad in my room where I live. Erase them all. Replace it with the late Beethoven quartets and Beethoven uh, uh, symphonies. Okay, if I did that, the brother would call the family together for an emergency (laughs) family (laughs) prayer meeting. And then they would come and say, Brother Ron, we were having fellowship together. We think you would be more comfortable in a hotel. (laughs) So, I appreciate the good heart, but I don't live there. I can't live there. But if you tell the Lord, make your home in my heart, he's going to take you at your word. And he'll do more than repaint walls, clear away stuffed animals, and tear down the posters, and eradicate certain music. He will gradually go from every part. And the, the basic verb for make home is oikeo. The Greek word for house is oikos, the same root. But Paul added a preposition, kata, meaning make home downward. And so here we need to be willing and we need our inner man to be strengthened so that the Christ in our spirit can enter into every part of our heart where we have lived our whole life. Even I know kids growing up, they disagree with their parents' way of living. They're not going to take this way once they're 18. So they retreat into their own heart. And live in their own universe. Then, when they get a chance, they'll live out what's in their heart. But now, God wants another person to permanently settle down in our heart. And again, this depends on the love, the tender care, and eventually, our will will be fully active, and we'll say, Lord, I'm aware to some extent of what's going to happen. You're going to touch every part of my heart and remove the things that are contrary to you. And Lord, I'm telling you now, I agree with you. I want you to do it. I'm not promising that I won't react when you touch certain things. But Lord, when I react, don't stop anyway. Because deeper than the reaction is the longing. Get through. And then you're honest with the Lord. And then we read the rest. And my part is done. The Christ who lives in us and who is being formed in us, is making his home in our hearts. Christ wants to make his home deep down in our being. He desires to spread from our spirit to all the parts of our heart. The more Christ spreads within us, the more he settles down in us and makes his home in our hearts. In this way, he occupies every part of our inner being, possessing these parts and saturating them with himself so that we may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Then point E, as Christ lives in us, is formed in us, and makes his home in us, we become a reproduction of Christ or the corporate expression of God. And the realm in which this takes place is the kingdom of God, as the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And in this kingdom, there's the government of God, which is righteous to the uttermost and will judge and remove anything unrighteous or unholy in our being. And while he's doing that, he's caring for us in every way with his loving, faithful, tender care. So I say again and again, we're in the best place in the universe, in the kingdom of God under the government of God, under the grace of God, receiving the dispensing of God. So, little by little, let's let him, let's allow him to live in us, be formed in us, make his home in us. The more this happens, the deeper will be your peace and the higher will be your joy. Be encouraged. The best is ahead. Let's press on together. Now it's your turn. We have at least 20 minutes, it turns out. One minute each. Please just follow the inner sense. Let the Lord flow. And we will stand with you to draw out your spirit. We're not going to criticize your speaking. We're going to stand with you and draw your spirit out as you share something to express that Christ was making his home in you.